0: How might spoken word poetry ignite a passion for writing, language, and performance in young people? Today on the show, I speak with spoken word poet, Britta B. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. Britta B is a spoken word poet, performer, MC, voice actor, mentor, and teaching artist. She's also an MFA candidate at the University of Guelph. I first saw her perform, I wanna say more than 10 years ago now at the Toronto Poetry Slam. She's since then made a living out of words, writing, poetry, and inspiring creativity. In this episode, we talk about Britta's creative process, the importance of mentorship, the reluctance of self-identifying as a poet, And yeah, Britta also shares some of her poetry with us, which is not to be missed. You don't have to love poetry or SLAM to get so much out of this conversation. I hope that all teachers who include writing instruction in their classes can hear this interview as a framework for how to help students become better, more confident and braver writers. This is a really good one and I'm so excited about it. Enough intro already, let's now hear from Britta B. Britta B, there is nothing else I would rather do on a Thursday evening other than talk to you about writing and words and poetry. So thank you for joining in today. It's such a treat. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, I like to start by having people introduce themselves. So could you
1: start by saying who you are, where you live and what you do? Yeah, so I am Brita, aka Britta B, yeah, you know me, and I'm a spoken word poet Uh, I would say I'm a full-time artist. I am a host. I emcee a lot of shows. I am a teacher. I facilitate and I mentor and uh, I do some voice acting as well. Uh, originally from Kingston, Ontario and i'm based in Toronto now on the west side Shadow Rossis Vale still don't know how to pronounce it that's how i'm doing today
0: <laughs> i love it i uh, started watching you perform when i first got dragged into slams for my friend Elise and i instantly just fell in love with you and your energy on stage so it's such a treat to get to talk to you now like I think it's like 10 years later once yeah. I started like, watching you on stage. I want to hear about everything and I have about a million questions, but I want to start <laughs> with who was Britta as a young person growing up in school?
1: Yeah, as a student, I was very involved in my school um, and, you know, hindsight will tell me that I was an overachiever um, and that I think is is greatly influenced by my dad. Um, I I have I have such a community focused uh, uh, a mentality based in community. And it really starts with my dad uh, because ever since I was probably six or seven years old, he had me involved in sports. I think my first sport was soccer. Then that led into basketball. And that also got me to try volleyball. And my brother as well, uh, he's, he's the athlete of the family greater, uh, greater on the court, greater in the field than I am, um, greater than anyone in our family actually. Um, but he, my dad got us involved in sports from a really young age and to have that sort of community base, uh, you know, with a team, but also having coaches, having people who support you, who like show up to really just, um, encourage you. That was something that I really never lived without growing up. So in high school, I felt just like the way for me to see myself on the other side of what it looks like when there's someone standing at the front of the room. I was like, I got to get to the front of the room. And so I was heavily involved in student council, grade nine rep, grade 10 rep, then I got to be secretary and then the student council president. And I was like, so hype in my mind um, that I actually uh, applied for Being the student trustee. And I remember we all had to give these like big speeches. All the presidents came together from all the other schools. And I got voted to be the student trustee. So that was a really like exciting moment. And I had no idea what the responsibilities were. I just knew I got to carry this title basically and that I would get to miss a lot of class because I was about going to leadership camps, I was about going to different trainings and seminars and conferences. Uh, Anything I could do to just. Really, I guess feel like I was quite literally like at a table without really knowing what that meant in a bigger uh, perspective or in a bigger lens. But yeah, being able to like sit at that big table where people make decisions, um, I felt like that that was something I just gravitated to naturally. And so all throughout high school, um, all my teachers knew who I was walking through the hallways. Um, I had different kinds of friends different kind of crowds that I would just like be friendly with like uh, I didn't just I didn't feel like I was like a part of one group or one clique um, like always giving everybody high fives in the in the hallways and everything and then really I guess the final thing um, apart from student council apart from um, playing sports uh, in school uh, science really ruled my life I had uh, an amazing science teacher, Mr. Finn, had him grade nine science and he really made science about life. And he wanted to relate everything as much as possible to what was happening outside the classroom. And that made me feel like school wasn't just a thing you were pressured to learn to get grades at, but that there was opportunities in learning for you to um for you to feel like you had something to contribute in life or something mm-hmm. to wonder and be curious about in life. So he really instilled that in me, grade nine science, grade 10 science. And then when we got to grade 11, I took grade 11 physics. And then I was so hyped to be in Mr. Finn's class. That I took grade 12 physics and grade 11, just so I could uh, get his teachings as much as possible. Um, yeah, so I have a lot of a lot of great teachers to uh, to just be grateful for growing up in Kingston, and I have, I felt like just little by little community was something that was always going to be a part of who I am and my work. Mm. I remember actually you talking about Mr. Finn and something else
0: that you did online. And you were talking about how when you're in grade nine, he like shoulder tapped you to be part of this grade nine leadership retreat or experience and how he really saw that potential in you. Um, And like, it really sounds like you have had amazing mentors growing up and coming of age. But then you're also such a mentor to young people. Like this is so clear in your work and the things that you really care about. So, you know, you talk about being a mentor to at promise youth, which I love, and how like you you're a seasoned artist educator. Can you talk me through your approach and your philosophy about mentoring young people as writers?
1: Yeah, I, um, first off, that whole At Promise youth, um, I, I believe the first thing that comes to my mind, I know that I'm borrowing that term, um, and I believe it was a poet named Spin um, El Poeta, uh, Spin the Poet, the Poet Spin, um, who is another uh, Toronto-based poet here. Um, he really, like, introduced me to that term and at the time you know the messaging was at risk youth or Mm -hmm. youth at risk and so I was like at risk of what like (laughs) yeah like who's really at risk here um (laughs) so that really like um made me want to uh hone that language of Mm -hmm. um of knowing what it's like to be overlooked and not have opportunities opened up for you or granted to you uh, because there's only like a concentrated group that gets to have access to things. So for me, my mentorship is really rooted in um, being able to give what I didn't get, being able to um, provide for other people, especially younger people, um, what I felt like I needed when I was growing up. Um, because growing up in Kingston, there wasn't any Black spoken word artists that I knew about, uh, let alone even spoken word point blank. So to be able to introduce youth to this field, this art form, this element of creativity, um, it feels like such a, feels like such a prophecy, Um, feels like something that is really uh, circular. And like, even though I didn't have all the clues and hints toward it when I was growing up um, I'm still able to um, bring people through their journey with the tools that I now have Um, so mentorship to me is just as much a part of giving the things that I didn't give or didn't get as it is being able to pay forward the sort of mentorship and influences that I did have Uh, Right away, I think of Andrea Blackwell, who's my basketball coach in high school, and she's a two-time Olympian, Canadian Basketball Hall of Famer. Um, And she was somebody that, while I was really struggling um, in my last year of high school, especially, struggling with mental, uh, mental health challenges and mental well-being, she went above and beyond to just be there. And that is something that I can never like reciprocate, like give back to her. Um, So she's given me this kind of energy that wants to be able to provide that at least like half as much to somebody. I love that.
0: It's like, you can't really fully repay our mentors, but you can give that energy to other people and people who need that in your life. When you're working with young people, and I know that you're involved in a variety of organizations, are you working with children in a long-term way or are you working with people in like these shorter kind of like workshop style, like pop in, pop out, like, or does it range depending on who you're working with?
1: It's mainly the latter- I get to be the cool auntie that shows up to the classroom, brings all the treats and the gifts and then says, see you later. <laughs> um, and teachers are the parents. Um, <laughs> but over the last couple of years, I'd say, yeah, the last like three or four years, I've been able to have a consistent relationship, um, consistent mentorship with a few folks. Um, and that is, is like watching a seed grow to be a, I don't know what those trees are, willow trees or oak trees, those big trees that grow from a tiny seed. Um, And like every day or every week or every month to, really be able to witness them just get a little bit more, um, a little bit more shine for themselves um, Them developing artistically them developing as young people, as young women, as young artists, um, and to be a, a sort of like pebble on their path to just that self actualization. Or if there's another word for that, I don't know what it is right yet, but like that, just like self knowing and self Hood, like um, the evolving, uh, the, how we can evolve to be more true to ourselves is something I get to do through art, and I can understand it when others are going through it through art. So be able to be able to be a witness to that um, with these like three or four young women that I think of when I think of people I've been able to have a longer relationship, a longer mentorship with. It feels very fulfilling.
0: It's so good to have those guest poets come into the classroom. And if anyone's listening, who's an English teacher, that's never had, you know, somebody like Britta B or another guest poet, it like, I, you know, Tanya newmeyer they've come into my class before. And the experience when Tanya came in was just so special. It's like, you get to have another adult in the room with you. Teachers never get to have another adult in the room with them. I mean, metaphorically now, because we're all online, but it's mm-hmm. it's like the students in the room are like, oh, there's another adult who works in language, and they're not just an English teacher. It's so affirming. And anyone listening that hasn't used a guest poet, you you need to find Britta B and get her into
1: your classroom. And after this conversation, clearly everyone's <laughs> going to be wanting that. That's the thing about poetry it, and, and spoken word poetry is that It is intended to be experienced live, Mm. to have someone there in the room with you, sharing in real time their work, their ethic, their art, their craft. Like, that's what is, um, yeah, so special about the spoken word form. It's a community. And it's also
0: not... uh you know, it's a team sport. Like, I think that that is the thing that sometimes gets missed when we just play like a YouTube clip here and there as teachers, Uh but that there is something not only about the live presence, but about the camaraderie and, you know, hearing your background of being in sports, I'm like, oh, of course you would have gravitated towards Slam because it's that mentorship, <laughs> it's coaching, it's a bunch of people working together for a common
1: goal. Competition,
0: Yes. <laughs> um, Tell me about how you got into Slam. Like, when did you attend your first Slam? What was your mind blown experience
1: like? Talk me through that. Oh, I remember it like it was last week. I, so I didn't know anything about SLAM until I was in my last year of university. And I had found out in my third year that uh, we had a poetry club at our school. I went to Wolf Laureate and I was studying biology. And I remember when I had found out about the poetry club, my first thought was, I'm going to go home, write three new poems and attend this meeting and just like show everybody up. I don't know what like showing everybody up was. I was just like, I'm just going to. I'm going to Diana Ross them. Like that was, <laughs> I love it. That was my idea. And were you
0: writing poetry before then? And like you're so, doing it for yourself writing poetry or was it like, I'm going to start writing poetry? I'm doing it poetry. for myself.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'm doing it for myself. I've been, I had been writing ever since my mom taught me how to spell my name, but I didn't have any like place to go and bounce it off of anybody. So when I saw this poetry club meeting, that was like a clue. That was like, yo, that's an opening go go see what it's about and so when I went <laughs> I'm Diana Rossi my poems a professor pulled me aside after and was like Britta like uh, so great that you were able to attend this um are you in first year like what are you studying here I was like no I'm in third year I'm studying biology and he was like are you not taking any like lit classes you're not in English like nothing I'm like no <laughs> I hated English class in high school. <laughs> I love that. And, and he was like, well, all right, um, come see me during office hours. I wanna find a way to get you into my course. And so I spent my last year in uh, a couple of his classes and he would actually allow me to take up space in the classroom, share a poem. Mm. And then the class would like, give me feedback, give me, uh, give me some critiques and like, just hear me out. And that was like my first audience. And then that gave me the confidence to want to go to like open mics and just like random shows where I could like hop on a microphone. And so spending, his name's Dr. J and that's super huge if you're into basketball. So Dr. J, uh, it was like, Britta, you know what? I would spend time in his office hours, um, you know, as we went through my last year of school. Uh, And he's like, Britta, you know what? You got to get yourself to Toronto you got to get yourself in in the slam scene. I was like, slam okay whatever let's go he's like yeah like just have a couple poems ready and go and get on stage so I remember I had one friend living in Toronto at the time and I was like Dion we got to go to the Drake Hotel and he's like really sucks his teeth like all right let's go And we went and I remember I was feeling so fly. I had these like pink high top chucks and I had like drawn like little designs on them and stuff. And I remember like walking in the drag being like, I'm gonna win this rap battle basically is what I had (laughs) in my mind. Uh, And when I got there, there was like a lot of energy a lot of kinetic energy happening and people were really friendly, really welcoming. Um, and it wasn't like, it, I didn't feel like out of place or anything. And I remember Dave Silverberg, you line up and you get to tell Dave your name and say, I want to tell a poem on stage. And he's like, okay, to be." Uh, and then my name gets called and I get to go up on stage. I drop a poem and I get my scores. Okay, I make it to the next round, all right, feeling nice. And then uh, I watch all the other poets, but I'm still also focused on my poem, my next poem I'm gonna do, how am I gonna win to the next round? And I get called up on stage again, drop my poem, oh, the poem doesn't score that well. I'm starting to feel kind of salty. But then in that same moment, I was like, I started to notice that poets weren't like, just like singled out up there. They weren't just like alone on stage. They had people who could like tell them their poems back to them. Like they had built a history, a relationship with the audience. And so that to me told me, oh, I gotta build my community here. I gotta build something here. I can't just like come in here, drop it like it's hot, take all the trophies, and, and then dip. Um, so I kept coming back, and I ended up getting a job in Toronto when I graduated university as a as a as a as a speaker, as someone who would come into schools and and give speeches. But the thing was, it was like a very curated speech. Wink, wink, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and. At the same time, I was exploring this slam poetry scene and eventually my contract with the organization was wrapping up. And at that same time, I had earned a spot on the Toronto Poetry Slam team where I was on the same team as Tanya Newmeyer and Charlie Patch and David Delisca and Noah Kaplan. Those was my squad, those are my people. Mm-hmm. And we got to travel and go to different uh festivals, Canadian Festival of Spoken Word, the National Poetry Festival in the States. And I got to finally have like my own little bubble of people I could bounce my writing off of and also learn from as a writer. And our coach was Alessandro Nakarada, as well. So I had so the good. best entry into the slam scene and I learned a lot quick that slam was not how I wanted to live my life. <laughs> I didn't wanna live my whole life competing, um, but we made the best of our time together. And then after afterwards, I just tried my best to figure out a way to make the poetry happen for me in a way that I could make a living from it. And so that turned into um, getting teaching gigs, having opportunities to feature, um, and really just build more of a name for myself. Mm I am I have so many like offshoot questions from that
0: story. I just love hearing too how you find mentors, like, or they find you. Like, do you feel like mentors are drawn to you? Like it just sounds like mm. you've got this energy where mentors are like, hey, you, let's be friends. Like, how does that work in your life?
1: I feel that a lot of great, I'm drawn to, I'm drawn, I'm drawn to people. I'm drawn to people that I can have a vibe with, essentially, and I want to feel like I'm able to contribute to their vibe as much as they're contributing to mine. Um, So I feel really fortunate to just, I got called a social butterfly a lot when I was growing up, but I think that that sort of just means that um, I, I like being around people with different ideas and just different ways of moving through the world a lot. Um, and luckily, a lot of artists are very different from each other. <laughs> and for mentors, um, even though I could learn from my peers, I didn't feel like I had like the writing mentor I needed um, for a very long time. Everyone was kind of focused on their own hustle. I didn't have someone that was maybe 10 or 20 years older than me to tell me, um, how they got through the writing game or how they got through navigating, um, making a real, uh, making like a full living from their, from their work. Um, so one of the things that I got lucky with and with being able to really vibe and connect with different artists, different musicians, different dancers, um, I was a part of um, a showcase in Regent Park called uh, Wild Women. And it was put on by Lorraine Sagato. And I actually don't even know how she like found me. I can't remember exactly how like she knew about me, but she invited me to perform. And that led to a series of events um, and doing that showcase and made me feel so uh, right where I needed to be because I was on stage with all women and it just like filled my spirit. And one of the musicians um, introduced me to a poet who really listened to me and like asked me questions about what sort of goals do I have uh, in terms of what I want to take, where I want to take my writing career. And it was probably the first time anybody had asked me a question and like really listened and didn't just want to tell me something or just like, um, I guess, plant an idea in me. Um, and it worked out so well because then when she actually gave me an idea, I I absorbed it. And her idea was to go back to school. And I remember being like, I don't want to go back to school. School is terrible. I hated it. Oh man, so much anxiety, so much academic pressure. Like I have a driver's test I have to do and that freaks me out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so when she said that, I was like, okay, I I was kind of disappointed (laughs) that that was going to be the response. But um she taught, told me about a couple of the programs, and I looked at them. And when I went home and looked at them, I didn't have any of the qualifications for them. so I was like, that's out the picture. But then that very same week, I had met someone who is in the program that I'm in now. and she raved about the program. and it just was like pure coincidence. if we can quote that, if it was coincidence, But she taught me about the program at the University of Guelph, the MFA creative writing program. And like, she really put a buzz in my ear. And so when I went home and looked at it, I was like, I think I can do this. Mm -hmm. I think that this is actually a little bit more possible. I mean, I'm going to have to like really show up, but I think this is possible. And I remember I had 10 days to get all my stuff together before the deadline for the application happened. And I got it. I got the references I needed. And then in February of the next year, when I got the email saying, we're going to make a case for you, meaning you don't have the grades, (laughs) you don't have the academic requirements, but you have the experience. We're going to make a case for you Mm -hmm. and you're going to get an entry scholarship (sighs) and you're going to get this other scholarship from a publishing company. (sighs) Do you accept? I remember I cried. I was like, what? And now here I am working on my thesis, and I'm going to be graduating this year. So, oh my God. I love
0: that. It's like the universe wants you to write, the universe needs you to write. And, you know, when you find your calling, it's not that it is easier, it's that things can happen. Like things will happen if you work hard enough and you put the time and the effort in, and you also put yourself out there. I love
1: that. You have to put yourself out there. Mm. That's a hundred percent. it. I mean, it's so corny. I don't know if it's Michael Jordan or Wayne Gretzky who said it, but you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Oh my God. I know. I say that to my students. Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm going to
0: pause because I want I want some poetry. I would love Post, for you to yeah. share anything that you feel inspired to. I want to like create the invitation. What is your most favorite poem to share? That's yours, obviously.
1: Oh, that's a good question. I don't know what my favorite one is, but I could tell you, I could do one that I'm, I'm feeling right now. Yes, that is okay, cool. exactly up that alley. Okay. <laughs> um, this poem is called Not Without Hope. Before some part of you forgets, you are not without hope. Hope, hope, hope. Today, the future was an uncomfortable echo. Economy disrupted, strutting stilettos, prickling fellow feelings felt oceans across, insidious termites overwhelming backyards. You, 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 you. Remote control with the whole earth on. Pause. Hey, if we watch the world as it sank, what entertainment could we hook out of its gargle neck? Whose channel changes the climate? Which button breaks the quiet, huh? Some of us still don't have a clue. Some of us still don't have a choice but to use our voice, to push back, protest, persist, the pip, pinky finger to unite the fist, Ah, uh, yeah. Some of us swear we are in this together. Are these statements of solidarity longstanding, or are some of us just hitching rides on the backs of buzzwords and bandwagons? Will allyship and gestures of compassion be followed by legislative action? I wonder. I wonder how leaders of a country with the most, the most freshwater lakes on the planet panic and deny water access to so many First Nations. Are we authors of inspiration or injury? What about the mental health crisis? What about the countless acts of public and private capital violence? What is it that makes accessibility so far away from the table where policies and programming made? And what is it about anti-Black trauma that makes it harder for a white woman to keep her hands off my hair and not just tell me she's being friendly? Why The stigma live at home in my hood? I work to fall asleep. I work to believe that I am neither powerless nor invisible, that I need you as much as you need me, and and we need each other like never ever have we ever before. Before some part of you forgets, under pressure, precious moments, you manifest, and you know something as simple as beauty is a confusing matter, but it makes a difference to have. And it makes a difference to hold how it shows up in the most terrible tempers, terrors, and disasters, but it creates cinematic brightness out of the dark spaces you climb out of and claims appreciation for every example that proves there is still some part of you that pulses and moves. Yes, there is still some part of you that is not without hope. Oh,
0: yes.
1: I want to wrap myself
0: up in a blanket of that. That was so good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I want to hear about your writing process. So take me through how you take an idea to what you just did. How does that work for you? And maybe that poem is like the example that you'll use, but how does this work for you?
1: There are lines that live in my head lyrics let's call them Um, because it's kind of like a song I think I'm most influenced by the sound of something before I figure out what the actual language of it is and so I'll just have this on my mind and it's kind of like working with a puzzle uh, when I finally meet a blank page and I ask myself okay well how am I going to say it And something that helps me a lot now is working with um, some kind of challenge. So either it's a form or it's a restriction or some kind of like constraint that I wanna use because um, that will take the pressure off of me trying to say the most perfect thing or it'll take the pressure off of me trying to uh, do justice. And, and serve something that I don't even know if I am capable of serving. Um, when I want to uh, work on a project, um, part of my routine is to spend time reading, reading whatever I'm reading at that time, if it's a book or if it's a novel, um, a, a collection of poetry, um, but reading something Um, and often I have like a list of, um, videos that inspire me. So they might be talks, presentations, um, visual, um, videos, like visual, um, either poems or music, um, or sometimes even just like EDM concerts. Um, but like something about lights and visuals, um, that will give me uh, just a space to get into that's outside of that critical mind. So reading... Um, listening and looking at something, and uh, making lists. So making lists of like literally how I'm feeling. Uh, making lists of what I feel is important to me. Making lists of things I notice in the room, um, and making lists of things I notice maybe about my environment. Um, maybe that means current event, current events, or even in my neighborhood like my proximity and being able to kind of like have all these like pockets of language Mm -hmm. now gives me this the the energy the focus to go to a blank page and say okay I'm going to try this as a sestina or I'm going to try this as a pantoum because I like repetition of things and pantoums are great at finding a line that really like um, it, it feels like you can emphasize it in a way that isn't like overcompensating, but it does something. Um, and, um, I think like for that piece specifically, um, I'm really weird about my notebooks, like yeah. vibe wise, Um, so that poem specifically, whenever I'm writing something that I know is going to be like really serious, so maybe not something that's just like me outletting a mood or an energy, I have to write on scrap paper. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have to write it on scrap. Um, so I'll just like collect my little loose leaves and then I'll just like start, start just outletting, brain dumping it onto a page. Um, and I'll be probably listening to the same song over and over. And I'm pretty sure that at the time I was writing this poem, I was listening to a song by a group called Stained <laughs> called So Far Away.
0: <laughs> I need to go listen to her instantly right now. <laughs> I think we have to pause the century. I need to go re-listen to that song and then listen to song. your poem again. <laughs> I will do that while I'm editing this.
1: Yes catch a vibe um <laughs> and literally I just realized it definitely was that song because I used so far away in the poem I said why is accessibility so far away from the table that like that got in there somehow so that's cool but it, it gave me I don't know some kind of stretch to ride with yeah so just having sort of for me when let's say I'm stressed it's not one thing that's going to calm me down so I have to have a list of like a list that I can look at of things that I know will help me to become mindful again. And I'll ask myself, okay, do I feel like painting my nails? Or do I feel like going for a walk? Or do I need to go hug my dog, Toby, like stuff like that. Um, and so I think it translates and informs my rating as well. And having different little puzzle pieces, little pockets to focus on and like putting the timer on as well. So um, maybe like every 15 minutes or every 20 minutes, I'll take a break, Um, look at the four corners of my room or grab tea uh, just to take my eyes off it and give myself that mental refreshment, I like to call it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's a lot of things in place for me to focus.
0: How many drafts of a poem will you do before you feel like it's ready to, put in front of an audience
1: Ooh, that's interesting because I actually they are drafts but I I would say that the poem isn't complete until um I have now uh gotten got it to a point where I'm like okay there's there's some stuff here let me read it out loud and I'll audio record myself Mm -hmm. and then I'll hear it back and I'll be okay does this does this land is this experience what I'm going for as a listener. And, uh, I think of my drafts as the audio part. Yeah. I was, that was another question
0: I had. Are you doing your drafts as audio? Because it is a auditory experience. It's not
1: just on the page. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely am. So I would say probably three or four Mm -hmm. audios and then I'm ready to memorize. Yeah. That's the best part. So once I've got it to that fourth part where I'm like, okay, this is the layout. Now listen to it and see if you like the way you're saying it. And if you like the space, if you like the compactness of the cadence um, and see, yeah, see what's gonna help roll off the tongue the easiest, but then also where's your challenge? Where's the thing you're gonna like upset or trouble the audience? and make things unpredictable.
0: I'm so interested by something that you said about yourself as a writer. Like you went to the BAMP Center and you did the residency program there. And you said that you didn't really start seeing yourself as a writer until after that residency. I want to know everything about that. Like what was it about that experience that changed your perception of yourself as a writer?
1: I think I have to do a better job as a teacher in... Um, demonstrating and really role modeling um, that there's, doesn't need to be a divide between a performance poet and a page poet. Um, Because for me, I was like, I'm not a poet, I'm not published. And it's so interesting that I have that against myself um, because really... I feel the spoken word community, the slam community um, is often kind of just looked at as like, oh, these people who rock a microphone. Um, And they're dope. They're great for entertainment, but they're not really people who I want to talk to about craft. Mm -hmm. And like, yo, what? Are you kidding me? Do you know, like, there's so much that goes into our craft, and it's not any less or even any greater than what a page poet is doing. And so I don't know, I don't really know where I got that idea from, but I felt like I was lacking uh, because I didn't have the published credit. I didn't have that credibility as a poet. And so I remember uh, when I was at the Spoken Word Residency at Banff, um, our lead mentor, our director, um, and like poet mom, Tanya Evanson, I remember I went to go like see her for her office hours and she had all these like poems around the room that I was like, how is that a poem? (laughs) She's like, that's a poem. And like, it would be like a picture of letters and very varying different sizes. And I'd be like, what, how's that a poem? She's like, say the poem. And it's like, not a word. It's like wild letters that look chaotic. Um, And she's like, that is a poem. And so she really just like challenged me to ask like, what do you think is poetry? And why do you think that is only what poetry is? And that whole like two weeks of being around uh, other writers and other poets, like different styles of poets. Like we had like experimental sound poets, Um, we had storytellers, we had MCs and rappers in there, Um, poets from Canada, poets from outside of Canada. And being with them made me realize I'm a poet because I say I am and I can back it up because I've been doing poetry and I'm devoted to being better at my writing, be better at what I'm giving um, in terms of my art and my craft. So yeah, I just like defined it for myself.
0: I studied uh, spoken repartee for my master's MRP at OISE. Hi. And there is so much in that about how SLAM is formed in in a way like a form of resistance to the established poetry community and this idea of like who gets to call themselves a poet and the established mm-hmm. idea of the academy allowing somebody to be published and that slam really comes out of this movement of saying no we can decide what good poetry is as a community like it is literally in the hands of the people and it just makes me so almost angry that you know young younger britta didn't see yourself as a poet yeah until you had that published credential. Like I hope that all of our students who are introduced to this form of democratic poetry can realize that poetry is in our, it's like our birthright, writing and language. Like this is, we own it, we own it together.
1: Yeah. And, and how do you put yourself out there? I think, Mm -hmm. I don't think, I mean, luckily, not luckily, but I noticed now that, um, for some things that you can apply for, um, in order to get like a certain membership or a certain status to be able to like have your name somewhere where you can see it. Um, oftentimes you have to have a certain amount of publishing credits Um, Even for awards or for jobs, sometimes you have to have a certain amount of publishing credits. And I notice a little bit more and more now that um, it can also be based on how much you have performed um, and if other poets would identify you as someone who is in the community and like what is a a professional poet now is sort of um, being uh, extended and expanded into um, a more Uh, a more, more of a place where poets like me can be like, I belong here and I belong in the title of being called a poet Mm -hmm. and professing my heart and soul to people.
0: (laughs) What advice do you have for teachers that, you know, other than obviously hiring you and rigging you into their classrooms to introduce students to this kind of writing to this kind of poetry like what do you wish you would have had as a young person so that you could have seen yourself in a writing class as a young Britta?
1: I think one of the things that I hated about English class was that we spent maybe three days on poetry uh, and I was told what the poet thought and I Remember only reading Robert Frost, like that was that was it. Um, And whether it's a a slam poet, a spoken word poet, a page poet, I think it's really vital to have someone living and breathing in the classroom who is making um, you know making some kind of life out of poetry. to be able to talk to students because I didn't know that it was a profession. I thought poets like had nine to fives and write poetry on the side. And also I pretty much quite literally thought that you could only be a quote unquote poet if you were old, dead and a white dude, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I just didn't see anything like that until I was much older. I didn't see anything that was, um, outside of that uh, in my life ever, until I was like in my twenties. Um, so I think diversifying the reading, the course the course readings, and it doesn't have to be just poetry that you're diversifying, just any materials that you're reading in the classroom. Um, it's gonna benefit your students. Gonna, it's gonna have, give them an opportunity to um, find something that they connect with. Um, I know that a lot of what I'm reading right now, I'm like, what this exists? Like, it kind of gives you permission to be like, oh, I can say things like that. Mm. I can, I can like point that stuff out and I can do it in a tactful way and I can put technique in it. Oh, wait, musicality is a technique. So I think just, um, I think teachers can really benefit, uh, or help their students to benefit from, as teachers yourselves, reading diversified material. And then and then trying to see, I guess, a question that I'm thinking about actually comes from Natalie Diaz. And I don't know if she was quoting someone, uh, but she's a poet in the States. And uh, she said, when I think about freedom, uh, it's kind of like this question about like, um, whose freedom is included when I think about freedom in for me? So when I think about a lesson or when I think about course material, and I think about the kind of course material that feels liberating for me, whose liberation and whose freedom is also included in that? I think that's something maybe to be more considerate about. Mm, That's amazing. Thank you.
0: For anybody who's listening that is an English teacher in Ontario in the independent school community, Britta B is going to be at the SITE conference coming up at the end of April. I don't know the exact date off the top of my head, which is really embarrassing because I'm also presenting at it in a little workshop. 24th. Good job. I will put the link in the show notes so you can hear Britta B. And you're also doing a workshop for students, are you not? or yeah I think actually with the the teachers yay that's amazing so if you're listening to this and you need more Brita which everybody does that will be a great way for some of you too and can you tell me about the League of Canadian Poetry piece that you have coming
1: out Yeah, so this month, um, with April being National Poetry Month, the League of Canadian Poets is um, going to be doing um, a series of kind of send-outs, poems in your pockets, and... um, Um, yeah lots of poetry Um, another thing about it too is that their focus their theme for this month is on resilience and I was uh, invited to write a feature article which will be out at the end of April here so stay tuned for that I am really excited to get to read that and I'll put it out
0: um, by the time this episode comes out that won't be out yet so I'll put it out on Instagram and Twitter and share it out with people
1: yeah thank you
0: Are you ready for the ticket out the door series of silly (laughs) questions about random things? I'm ready. Okay. What is something that you're grateful for right now?
1: Mm, My husband. (laughs) Mm. I'm grateful for my having a partner who supports me more than I even know sometimes and surprises me often and like gives me like the hardest laughs um and uh, make sure that we're both fed every day.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a great thing. What is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Stretch. I have a new stretch routine. I do. What's the last yes. thing you do before you go to bed?
1: I am reading something right now. I'm reading the hate you give. By <gasps> Thomas. Is that your first Yay. time reading it? I know, oh, I know, I'm so late. Oh no, it's just so delightful.
0: That's so fun. I know. Yes, everything Angie Thomas has written, it makes me very, very happy. There's a prequel too, to that book, Concrete Roses, which all my students are reading right now. They would love I'm it. Great. and that's, my, that's being sent to me. Oh my goodness, okay, yeah. great. I love YA. Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: what is the most recent TV show you binged and loved?
1: <laughs> I, um... <laughs> oh, um, okay, there's a lot of TV shows I watch, but my favorite thing to binge watch, and my husband hates me for it, but it's like cringe bloopers, uh, newsroom bloopers on what? YouTube. <laughs> that is my the most
0: unexpected like, newsroom bloopers. Like, that newsroom specific. bloopers is 29 <laughs>
1: minutes of pure gold laughs. <laughs>
0: That is incredible. Please send me your favorite link. I need to watch okay. all of these. I I will email you and I'll put it in the show notes for everyone else. Uh, pie or cake? Oh, that's a hard one. Cheesecake. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Spring or fall? Uh, neither. <laughs> I
1: <hate them> <laughs> what would be your last meal on earth? Oh, dang. Probably a bag of potato chips. <laughs> great lays regular <laughs> what is the best gift you ever received Ooh, um the best oh that's a tough one i am splendid you know what i'm gonna shout out my husband again what behind me as you can see there's a portrait that he took of me blew it up and then put these like 1500 little diamond studs on it um so it oh like my glitters my face
0: <laughs> oh i <laughs> love me, it so. that is magical Yes. Yes. Yeah. He's a good one. You should keep that (laughs) one. one. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. The final question I get everyone to answer at the very end of the episode. What do you think is the future of learning?
1: The future of learning involves being able to carry an imagination that grows and allows you to always have an imagination, always be connected to an imagination. I want to say that it's not tainted and that it's not jaded. um, That sounds really negative. So I want to say that it, its only struggle is being able to find the people who also want to help manifest that manifestation. And it's a bit of a challenge sometimes because those people might have some distance to them or those sources of support and those sources of uh, encouragement might have some distance to them. But an imagination that is always there and is always connected to you um, in dream and in vision and, and just being able to feel like you always have something to pursue Um, that will make you feel alive and that life is life is giving you
0: life that is an amazing answer to that question thank you this was such a great conversation I really really enjoyed it and I feel like I've learned so much as a teacher and I just really enjoyed it thank you
1: My greatest pleasure. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your fantastic questions. Um, Those are really deep and personal, and I feel like you got me in a lot of ways. So thank you for uh, bringing your spin to who I is.
0: (laughs) My key takeaways from this conversation are pretty straightforward. The first is that mentorship matters. Brita saw her own potential as a writer and a leader because her teachers let her know what they saw in her. Be that teacher for your students. The second is that it's essential to have a community of people to support us with creative endeavors. Our classrooms might mean that that's how we do this, but it also could be clubs, programs, or workshops outside of the class. Young people need community to develop as writers. The third is that representation really matters. If students are going to see themselves as writers one day, bring in working professionals who exist in the world of words to your classrooms. Ensure that the writing you share with your students includes a broad array of voices, formats, styles, and backgrounds. Students will only see possible futures for themselves if they actually see those possible futures. In the show notes, you'll find links to how to find Britta on the socials, information on the upcoming site Conference for Independent School English Teachers on Saturday, April 24th, and yes, also that newsroom blooper reel that Britta was mentioning. We did not want to forget about that one. While you're checking up the show notes, please do give the show a quick rating and review. This is not like a report card comment. You don't have to make it long and lengthy. A simple rating and a few words go such a long way. It helps other people find the show. It lets me know what's working for you and gives me ideas for the future iterations of the podcast. If you want to connect in a more long-standing way, you can follow me on Twitter at teach underscore tomorrow or on Instagram at teaching underscore tomorrow. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep putting yourself out there. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.